0: Welcome to the Tuesday, Monday Night Football wrap-up edition of Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole, PFF data scientist in here, in the lab, mixing up the data. Uh, I'll have for you all of the relevant numbers here when it comes to grading, when it comes to adjusted scores, when it comes to expected points added, all the nerd shit. You're going to get... A full helping of that when it comes to this game. There's there's some decent takeaways from this game when it comes to not only what happened last night, some decisions that were made, how the teams played, some players to point out for who are on very different trajectories in their career. Uh, Baron Browning, for one, on the Broncos. I want to talk about him a little bit. JC Jackson, benched at halftime. Talk about him and the perils of free agent Uh, defensive back signings talk about all that and we'll also get into installment roughly 1576 of a million part series on analytics (laughs) the analytics talk in the media Uh, i have a couple of clips here from the pregame show last night ESPN had their panel talking about it. And, you know, I made my snarky comment on Twitter. I try not to be too much of a snark guy, although it gets the response about, you know, can we please have someone who understands what these models actually do and how to use them as part of this discussion. But I'm going to try to be, you know, olive branch here. Put out an olive branch to the the football guys, to all the muscles out there. Because Lord knows if I was on a panel with these dudes talking about it, I'd be very nice. I'd be very nice about this. Uh, this big, those are big dudes. Uh, I I'm not a big dude. I mean, I'm six foot, like 185 pounds, but you know they could throw me around, uh, like a rag doll if they needed to. If the analytics talk gets too heated, so yeah, let's reach out to all the branches. I think the important point here is, that I'll, again, I'll get into this in much more detail. Is they have a lot of knowledge that we can use and we can build into this. And I'll wa- I'm going to walk through one of the scenarios from last night and how. You can build into models, all these things that people say, well, it doesn't count for this and it doesn't account for this and it doesn't account for the fact that your quarterback is left-handed and they're playing against, uh, on the third Sunday of the, of the month and they had a bad breakfast and you know, they're feeling their tummy hurts and everything else. Like, yeah, it can't account for everything guys. We get that. Um, but we will get into how we can start to account for all of this stuff going forward. But first let's get to the game. It was painful, especially for East Coast dads like myself, going to overtime. Uh, thankfully, it did not go all the way to being a tie. And I think the better team, at least according to my adjusted scores, did end up winning this game. Get Scott hits it. Hangs it high. It's short. And it hit. loose ball. No signal yet. And it belongs to the Chargers. Team- yes, we have a muffed punt. Maybe no more appropriate uh, ending here than a muffed punt, which ends up being the most successful offensive play of overtime. Uh, because I guess you could technically call it an offensive play. After a three and out, we start overtime. Three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Back to back to back to back. The punt here, uh, it was muffed. The, blo- the uh, One of the blockers was pushed back into Washington, recovered at the 28-yard line by the Chargers. They... You know, we're a little bit conservative for my liking on some of these calls, especially with an injured kicker, Dustin Hopkins being injured in this game. They run the ball once, they lose a yard. They run the ball again, they lose a yard. But Herbert comes up with a nine-yard pass, which ends up moving them from that 28 to about the 21-yard line. And then they kick the field goal from there. 39-yard field goal is good by Dustin Hopkins. So the this play... This muffed punt not only was the most impactful play as far as actually being able to do something offensively in overtime, it was by far the most impactful play if we look at win probability change in this one. When the Chargers kicked it away, they had a 23% win probability. It was what's expected after that play. The Broncos starting first and 10 and only needing a field goal to win. Now, maybe it's actually a little bit higher. The tie chance should be a little bit higher for both teams. Couldn't do anything offensively, but that was the assumption is that the Broncos could be somewhat effective and had a decent chance of going down there, having the ball only needing three points there after the muff 81%. So let's do some quick math there, people 58% win probability gain on this one play. I think it could be even higher than that. I mean, when you recover and you're setting up a field goal, that's going to be 45 yards with a normal kicker. Um, you're probably going to gain another five yards and you're going to kick it. It might even be a little bit higher than 81%. But of course, with the kicker, Hopkins being how he is, I think that's a decent estimation of how impactful this play is. No other play had more than a 20% impact. And this was 58%. So that shows you how huge that particular play was. And the number of the game, this is the other underlying factor that doesn't feed into a lot of the numbers that people are going to talk about from this game. When you're looking at yards per play, when you're looking at, Uh, other metrics that do not account for the non-plays, what we call no-plays in our nomenclature for our database. In other words, penalties, the number of the game here, 240. That's the combined penalty yards for both teams in this game. 19 total penalties. The Broncos alone uh, accounted for 151 of those 240 yards. That's the most penalty yards by any team in any game this season. There was a close game earlier this year with 130-something penalty yards, but it's only been a handful, even over 100. And the Broncos had 151 in this game. And this is not a, a fluky sort of thing. When you look at the penalties here for the Broncos, they lead the NFL with the most penalties at 54, and they have nearly 500 yards in penalties in six games. So, again, we only have a few games this year that are over 100 yards in penalties for teams. And the Broncos are averaging not 100 but they're getting up there into the 80s, and how much they're averaging per game in penalties. Um, the particulars going into the game: the Chargers were a four-point favorite. Sometimes it was three and a half. There's three and halves hanging out there um unfortunate for anyone there because 19-16 no cover for anyone who bet on the Chargers good for people that bet on uh, the Broncos though they didn't get a fluke uh, touchdown there in overtime my adjusted score is 21 to 16 so a little bit wider down the scoring because they were both so ineffective and i do think the Chargers were pretty effectively the better team in this one they ran 80 plays to only 55 plays for the Broncos Uh, They're playing with a ton of pace, which was interesting how quickly they were playing in this one. Um, They had a lot more third down success, which can be unsustainable. But in this particular game, I don't think it was because there are a lot of shorter third downs. They were 11 of 22 on third down versus four of 13 for the Broncos. They're one of three on fourth down. So got relatively unlucky there. Yet, if you look at some of the numbers you might point out, people might point out, they'll say, oh, The Chargers had 3.6 yards per play versus 4.7 for the Broncos. So that gives some indication that the Broncos were better, but the Broncos much chunkier, how that works, um, not extending drives. And it also does not count 87 yards in defensive pass interference. All of them attributed, unfortunately, to Damari Mathis, the rookie, fourth round rookie corner who was starting because Ronald Darby uh, tore his ACL last week for Defensive pass interference calls, 87 yards. So if you bump that up, we're going to say, okay, now we got 297 total yards. We add another 87 to it. That's a significant, significant increase in game. And it makes the offense look a bit more efficient than it actually was. Uh, We go over the overall numbers here. Success rate percentiles for these teams offensively was 40th percent for the Chargers. Only 12th percentile for the Broncos. EPA a little bit better for the Broncos because of some of those big plays. Both were equally bad passing the ball in that kind of 10 to 20th percentile, dropping back to pass. But the Broncos were actually pretty good at running the ball, which again, this is going to be a difference between looking at expected points added type of calculations, which account for down, distance, uh, field position, all the situational stuff versus yards per carry. Because the Chargers were three yards per carry. No one looked that great. But they actually had a success rate in the 85th percentile and an EPA in the 95th percentile because they were able to convert fourth down on there. And they also had seven other, I'm sorry, six other first downs that they were converted with these running plays. So yeah, a running play for two, three yards generally is not going to be effective. But when you only need one, two yards to pick up a first down, it ends up being a positive expected points added type of play. Uh, Melvin Gordon, uh, kind of like unofficially benched, maybe some injury problems here, but he's out in this game Uh, looking at just go through all the different positional units here for receiving. There's not a lot to talk about here. Uh, Greg Dolchich was interesting. The rookie came in at tight end. Albert O was inactive, a healthy scratch in this game. Dolchich is going to be a guy for fantasy people out there. You're probably going to pick him up because the tight end market is a hellscape out there unless you have uh, Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey or someone like that. Uh, 27 of 34 routes for Dolchich, and he ends up with three targets, two catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. I mentioned Damari Mathis. He was the negative play defensively for them. I kind of like his moxie that he was getting in there um, and trying really hard. <laughs> and, you know, he was kind of testing that theory of whether or not they can call They can't call a penalty on every play. He tested that theory and he almost got called for a penalty on every single play. Again, four DPIs for him. Uh, He did make a fourth down stop though at beginning of the fourth quarter. So again, he was getting his nose in there. Maybe eventually that'll end up uh, paying off for him. Penalties on the other side, two holdings, the holding was a big problem for the chargers. Two of those on Zion Johnson, the first round pick who plays guard there. And then a third string center comes in um, and commits a holding call there. So the protection issues were there for Herbert. A lot of people are going to point to, some of the low a numbers for him versus what everyone wants to see from Herbert. You know, we want to see these down the field throws, everything else, you know, he doesn't have great protection. He was under pressure about 40% of the time. Uh, he was sacked a couple of times, which doesn't happen that often, but I guess it's not too bad for the fact that he dropped back to pass, uh, you know, 60, 60 times in this game. But his, his average time to throw was 2.7 seconds. So he was getting a lot of pressure getting the ball out quickly. I think maybe he doesn't necessarily want to take a lot of sacks, also, the way he plays, the rib injury. So some of it, yeah, we can put it on Lombardi. Everyone wants to kill Mike Lombardi and that, and neutering Justin Herbert. At the same time, there are downsides to holding onto the ball longer, including hits, sacks, other things which Herbert may not want to take in this in this game, but I get it when people are looking at his a dot at 5.9 yards and just wishing that we could see a bit more from him in this game. Uh, 72 grade from Herbert, although he had negative expected points added 57 grade for Russell Wilson. I want to talk Brandon. I'm sorry, Baron Browning on this one. I highlighted him last week. He had 10 pressures in 20 pass rush snaps, number 56 coming off the edge, three pressures, only three pressures today, but a sack and an interception. And He killed a drive for the Chargers almost single-handedly with a sack. And it was such a fast sack. He was – time to pressure was 1.4 seconds. Time to sack was about 2.2 seconds, which is extremely fast for a sack here. And then he batted the ball down uh, on the next possession. So the Chargers had to end up kicking a field goal. He's really coming together. His 15% pressure rate, this is the same sort of rate that we're talking about guys like Rashad Gary, Nick Bosa, better than Miles Garrett so far this season. Uh, a really, really, really interesting guy. And as I mentioned before, his his combine stuff is off of the charts. He's like a Mark, Micah Parsons type. He played off-ball linebacker at Ohio State. He played a lot of off-ball linebacker as a rookie. And now they're putting him on the edge and saying, let's just take these athletic freaks. And this guy's a total freak. He's a 97th, 98th percentile across the board. You know, let's start putting him on the edge, even if they only weigh 245 pounds. 240 pounds, and see what they can do wreaking havoc in the backfield. He's, he's got some juice, some serious juice there. Um, on, the, on the negative side here, J.C. Jackson benched at halftime, 27.9 grade in this game, targeted four times, gave up two catches for 86 yards and a touchdown. Both catches were first downs. So it's not great when you're being targeted and averaging over 20 yards per target against it. And this is not just a one-game sort of thing. J.C. Jackson, of course, was injured, came back, was immediately getting roasted by the Chiefs when they played in Week 2. And so far this season, of the 108 cornerbacks who have played at least 100 snaps this season, his grade, 29.5, is the second lowest of any of those 108 cornerbacks. 29.5 coverage grade it was 80.3 last season and remember he got this huge contract he was a UDFA uh, coming out Belichick not matching that and this comes into sometimes a lot of times we'll see with corners who have gone to new places I think we're seeing this to a degree with William uh, Jackson we're seeing this degree with some other guys who have moved from one place to another Corey Fuller was a guy who moved and didn't wasn't nearly as successful Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Scheme has a huge effect on these guys' performances and the natural variability of play for them because of how much is dependent upon who they're facing, where the ball happens to be, how they're playing in conjunction with other pieces on that defense. The variability of play means paying up in free agency can become dangerous, first off, just generally especially becomes dangerous when we're paying up for off of an up season, off of a higher season for Jackson. I mean, Jackson was good. His first couple of years in the league, his first few years in the league, but we were talking about grades that were in the high sixties and low seventies for coverage. His grade jumped up into the eighties. He became this, you know, he was an interception guy too, which is something you never want to pay too much for because of the flukiness of how that works. Um, and then now it's dropped way, way down. You couldn't have expected this sort of drop-off for Jackson. But when we're talking about investing free agent dollars, you already have a signal from the other team telling you they don't want to re-sign them if they have money. And it's not like the Patriots haven't been throwing around money in recent years in free agency. You have that signal and you have the general you know, forecasting how well they'll fit into a new system and a new scheme it can be very, very, very difficult to do. Um, it's very difficult to project these guys out of college beyond how they can play press man. That is really something that you can count on a little bit more, but all the other scheme issues that come into play, uh, make them a difficult signing. And so far, obviously not working out at all for the chargers and JC Jackson. I mentioned Duskin Hopkins earlier, you know, I'm not going to get too much on the fact that Put the team on his back with his bad hamstring and won everything. And then he got the interview after the game, which is you know kicker interview after the game. You don't see that often. Falling down after making the field goals might have been a little, a uh, little acting going on in there, a little melodramatic acting going on in there. But still, four or four on field goals, including the game winner from 39 yards. So who knows? He's probably getting the game ball. Kicker Dustin Hopkins coming back from injury is probably getting the game ball. All right. That is really the big wrap up. There's some other things to talk about when it comes to clock management, like Staley not using a timeout at the end of the game, taking those timeouts into overtime, things like that. I mean, I don't really need to get into all the different particulars on it. If people remember, Austin Eckler got a first down on third and a few yards to go. and then they just allowed the clock to run down. They kept all of their timeouts. I think they took two timeouts into overtime. They eventually, you know, stalled out on fourth and one. So it didn't really matter. Maybe they wouldn't have wanted to have that extra time anyway, necessarily to have more time to go for it because they ran it all the way down from 33 seconds down to one second at the end of the game. But it was clearly a mistake at that point in time, not to use clock management. So I don't know what Staley's setup is there, but hopefully he has someone yelling in his ear there. Cause we see this consistently over and over and over again, as I mentioned with Andy Reed, letting the clock run down on the other side when the bills had in this last game, let's get this time management stuff cleaned up a bit. Uh, Looking forward for both teams, Chargers, they are up 14% in their playoff probability. This is a big game. Both teams had double-digit moves in playoff probability, up to 67%. Broncos down to 20%, so only a 1 in 5 chance for the Broncos to make the playoffs. The Chargers, 24% chance to win the division, only 5% for the Broncos. So Chiefs looking in command of that division, but the Chargers are still, you know, snappy a little bit. Uh, If there's anything to be somewhat positive about the Broncos, I thought they looked more comfortable offensively. They were snapping the ball with 15, 20 seconds left a lot. You saw some of Russ starting off early, 10 of 10 to start the game, pushing the ball down the field. I mean, it all fell apart eventually, but at least they looked a little bit more uh, prepared and ready and in sync offensively with at least the play call, huddle, get to the line, move forward, those sorts of things early. At least that looked good for him. If that's something that, you know, you can point to, it's not the greatest thing you can point to, but at least it's something that maybe you can point to a little bit. Um, just hoping that there's some chance they can turn things around going forward. They both have very difficult schedules going forward. Uh, these two quarterbacks, one thing I'll mention for seasonal sort of stuff here, Russ, His grade is now, you know, well into the 30s. Not good for Russell Wilson. Not well into the 30s, sorry. It's well into the 20s of his ranking for grading. 21st in EPA per play. He's playing, you know, bottom 10, bottom 12-ish sort of quarterback play from Russell Wilson so far this year. Even more surprising is Justin Herbert. And I'm going to have to take an L on an offseason take that I had that he was going to step up and be maybe – The guy along with, you know, Allen and Mahomes is going to be like those three above everyone else in our perception of quarterbacks. He's down in the teens in terms of efficiency. This is a bad game for him with efficiency in this game. For the season, he's down in the teens for efficiency. He's in around 12th, 13th in grading. So, again, not, not good for him. How much is the rib? How much isn't? I don't know. But it's something to watch for a guy we were hoping would jump forward this season. All let right, right, we're going to get into the analytics talk. We're going to put, in the, put on the hazmat suit. Again, go analytics talk. But before we do, let's pay some bills here. Uh, let's talk about DraftKings. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Everyone can boost their winnings with stepped-up same-game parlays right now for every leg you add. You can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game, that's code PFF, Only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And also Western and Southern sponsors the Unexpected Points podcast. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand the needs and address goals with... A game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com. All right. Got to freshen up a bit here uh, to make sure I'm ready to talk about the analytics. For those who may not have seen, it was the pregame show on ESPN. Big segment there on the analytics. I have a couple of clips from that. We'll we'll, we'll run through that Um but first, before we get into it, I want to play a clip from Quasi Odofo Mensa, the former head of research for the San Francisco 49ers, who then came to the Browns It was an understudy there of Andrew Berry as an assistant GM there, then was hired by the Minnesota Vikings this offseason. He was being interviewed by a team you know, interview channel in the off season. I think I played this interview on this exact podcast before, but I'm going to replay it, at least the first bit of it, the first 30 seconds or so, because this is good context to have in mind when people are talking about the quote unquote analytics and all the baggage that comes in there. This is when Kwesi is being asked about what was his definition of analytics. Uh, this is what This is what he said you know, it's not a word I use very often. Um, I think it's become kind of a loaded word. Um, I think it means more of, a lot of times it means more who is doing it, not what you're doing. And, you know, to me, analytics, or even just being empirically minded is about being thoughtful and intentional. And so really thinking about why you're doing what you're doing, the decisions you're making. um, And sometimes that's experience. Sometimes that's, yeah, maybe you're going to do a little research that involves numbers or whatever it is. um, But, at the end of the day, it's just about being thoughtful and then taking that thought and using that to action and really building processes to connect the two, build a bridge. Yeah. So it's about being thoughtful and intentional, not about as he says, when the word analytics comes up, it conjures in the mind, you know, nerds working on their computers, spitting something out and handing it to the coach and saying, You have to do X because this is what our model is telling you, telling you to do. No, that's not it. What it is, is looking at a decision that needs to be made, uh, whether it's a decision on to go for it on fourth down or not, how to to draft a player or not, how to set up practice, how that should be structured, how long someone should rest after an injury, how they should rehab from that said injury, uh, who you should, how you should, you know, look at the salary cap and spend it on different things. It's all these different things. You just wanna be as thoughtful and intentional about doing it, not going by precedent, not going by how things have been done in the past, not allowing biases to come into play and say, well, this team that's successful did things X way, a lot of luck involved in this, so we're just gonna do things X way. No, like study how similar sort of situations have come out in the past. It's just studying and making sure that you can do everything you can to make the best decision. Now, it happens to be, when it comes down to two-point conversions and fourth down, it happens to be that part of that process when you're saying, like, th- think about how you're making this decision if you're not using the analytics. We'll just use a substitute for models, for data-based, evidence-based models, information-based models. You're still using information if you're making these decisions. You're still deciding whether or not to go for it with some notion of how likely it is you'll gain the first down. With some notion of how bad of a situation this puts your team in if you don't get the first down. Uh, With some notion of how good your team is relative to the other defense. You have all of this stuff in your head. Um... And, you know, sometimes it's just precedent, right? Because you're going to say to yourself, I'm not going to go for it on my own 20-yard line because nobody does that because it's, it's risky. I don't have the ability in my head to calculate out everything and really have confidence that that is the right move when you're almost immediately giving up three points to the other team by not doing it. It's more opaque to try to figure those things out. And that's when modeling can come into play to help you figured those things out a bit. Um, But how you don't want to think about it is how I think some of the things are being talked about on this broadcast. I'm going to go first to Steve Young talking. uh, His whole thing here is that it's not about, it's about having the right play. That's what it's about more than anything else. And this is how he explains it. Uh, He explained it on the ESPN broadcast. But can we bury analytics... Just once and for all. I just, because I just, to me, Boog, at the end of the day, Larry has it right, you have it right as well. If there's a play that you love in a situation, 90 to 95% chance that it's exactly, and you heard Staley talk about the post game in Cleveland, he did it because he had a play that he loved. In the previous week, he said the same thing, I have a play that I love, I don't care about analytics, I have 95% chance or more. I'm going to run it. And to me, that's not reckless. Reckless is when you don't have a play or you're putting yourself in a spot so far back in the 20, your own 20, your own 30. That's reckless. To me, the recklessness is not having a 95% chance play that you have in your bag ready to go. No matter what the analytics say, if you don't have that play, if the analytics say go, I say don't go. (laughs) Not go without a play. Okay so you know they they're getting the shots in they're burying analytics uh they're laughing at the end um okay so let's just you know if, if i was to if i was going to talk with with steve young uh the great steve young uh i believe he's in he's definitely in the top 10 in my goat quarterback series that i did this off season uh one of the highest peaks ever uh in the nfl as far as his peak play during a 3 4 year stretch there um If I was going to approach Steve, we just want to figure things out from a little bit of a better standpoint. I mean, I guess the first thing that jumps out to me when he's talking about this is the idea that you can have a play that would have a 90 to 95% success rate. And again, this is why we want to be thoughtful about it. We want to say, okay, how likely it is, how likely is it that we actually have a play that has a 90, 95% success rate? Being that and let's just assume it's fourth and one here, I guess, being that quarterback sneaks are only successful roughly 80% of the time. 85 if it's really close, depending upon who your quarterback may be. Uh, Being that fourth and one, even by the best offenses in the league, and, you know, I bet Andy Reid has some good plays, right? I bet... you know, Matt LaFleur has some good plays. I bet these other guys have some good plays when they've been running that. Even if you can take those best offenses in the league, you could study it and you could see that, you know, maybe we could get up to like 70% if we really thought we had a great play here. Um, so the likelihood of us, even if we think this play is going to work, no matter what, with all the unknowns of what the defense is going to do, how they're going to line up, whether we'll block properly or not, uh, whether the receiver will drop the ball or not, whether the exchange will work between the quarterback and the center, all these different things to say that we have a 90 or 95% play is probably wrong. It's not a hundred percent short, wrong. I guess it's within, you know, some sort of realm of possibility, but it's a very, very, very likely that that's not the case. So let's lower our expectations and be more realistic. And again, that's a good way via analytics analytics. It's, it's not analytics. It's just, let's be thoughtful and intentional when we're deciding what our probability is of converting this play rather than just saying, I feel like it's a 90 to 95% chance to convert the play. That's number one, right off the board. Let's get a good percentage. let's get on the same, like, let's get on the same plane here and how we're discussing it. Number two is, he says, even if you have this 90, 95, let's say it's 95% probability play, right? You have it. He also says, well, we're going to eliminate going for it in our own 20. We don't want to do that, even if we have this great play. Um, then you have to think to yourself, well, let's think about it. If we convert 19 out of 20 times, if only one out of 20 times we don't convert, 19 times we continue with the ball down the field, one time we don't convert. I think I'm doing that on my own 20-yard line. depending upon upon the situation. So we have to think like, why wouldn't we want to do it? I know this is an extreme example. I already disproved the whole 95% thing, right? But let's use his 95% thing to make a point, which is, and use extremes to make a point sometimes. We can use these extremes to help us think about the logic underpinning other decisions. So let's use this extreme of a 95% conversion probability You wouldn't want to keep the ball 19 times to give up the ball one time in this circumstance, knowing that if you keep the ball, you're likely going to average out on those possessions. I don't know, two points per possession on the rest of that, Um, you know, one and a half, two points. So one and a half, two points times 19 versus giving up the ball is maybe on that one time is maybe, you know, four points is what your average is going to give up on that. So you're not going to give up four points on average one time for 19 times to get one and a half, two points. Yeah, of course you're going to want to take that. So it's just another way of of thinking about it and being intentional, not just saying, well, you don't go for it on your own 20 because you don't go for it on your own 20. Let's think about it before we make that decision. Um, And the second part here, now I'm going to play this clip from Larry Fitzgerald here. Again, Hall of Fame player, great player, loved watching Larry Fitzgerald as a player. Uh, this is actually being praise. And I, this is the one I made a little bit of a snarky comment about on Twitter. I know I, I broke my own rule of the snarky quote tweet. Uh, but this is him talking about this is a very, very common thing. And I think our response to this also as nerds is incorrect, or at least it's not incorrect, but it's not optimal how we respond to these things. Um, this is him talking about how you can't build things into models. Very, very common response um, because it is, it's like kind of, specious reasoning like it's it's true but it's somewhat unimportant or beside the point tell you to go for it Steve, Steve, analytics cannot come in and say the wind is blowing 30 mile an hour it's raining sideways my left tackle is hurt my wide receiver that has a bad hamstring is, is not moving and don't have and a play all, all of spot, these right? things you have the analytics cannot take into account so are there times that it works? Yes, but you have to feel your team, what the momentum is, what have you been doing on third down previously to help me make a better decision. Like, I, I need to see those type of things taken into account. Larry, what's your experience with this? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. That's that's Larry. He also asked what's his experience with this, and I didn't have a longer clip, but he talks about like helping the play call on the Kyler Murray. Uh, Hail Mary, where they just chuck it up to him. I'm not sure how that falls into analytics talk. But anyway, let's get let's get back to what Larry's saying. Because this is a good, I won't say it's not a straw man by, by Fitzgerald, because it is true. Like I think it's just again, it's it's beside the point. It's true, but beside the point. Or it's not capturing the full, the full point of what we're trying to do here. Um there will always and again, how nerds combat this, I think, is wrong because what nerds will say is. And when Larry Fitzgerald said, you can't account for a 30-mile-an-hour wind, they'll say, yes, we can. We, we can account for a 30-mile wind. We can do that. We can put it, you know, ding, 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 put it in there, ding, ding, ding wind 30 miles an hour. Well, probability goes down 4.3%. Um, we can do that. And then he'll say, well, you can't account for rain coming sideways. I mean, how often is it even happening, number one? But anyway, so he's like, oh, no, you know, nerds, we can try to figure that out. You can't account for my left tackle has a hamstring injury. And then, you know, nerds will say, oh, we'll look up every hamstring injury ever, and we'll try to figure out, okay, we he could just come up with more things. He could always come up with more things, okay, that we that really cannot be necessarily confidently, because of sample size mostly, cannot be confidently put into the model. They're always gonna win this argument if they just keep on going for more and more things. I think it's good to point out that they don't understand some of the things that are in the model, but the model is never going to be perfect, okay? And this goes back, I'm gonna show, uh, you know, it may be somewhat apocryphal, but a quote here from British uh, statistician, this is this is the great quote when we're talking about models here. Uh, British statistician George E.P. Box, his quote is, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Once again, all models are wrong, but some are useful. So if Larry Fitzgerald is saying, you can't account for this as if it's some sort of binary thing, 100% or 0%, can you account for this? I would say, Larry, you are correct. We cannot, we don't know. This is not right. All models are wrong. Even our estimates for the things we think we can account for, like down, distance, score, um, offensive strength, defensive strength, the things we know we put in the model, it's still wrong. The model's wrong. It's not perfect. It's not giving you the exact probability. It's not telling you, if you ran this play 100 times, or 1,000 times, let's say, uh, our estimate for the conversion probability would be perfect. It would be right. You know, when, you, when you, you make it sometimes, you don't make it other times, it would be right overall. It's wrong, but it's the best estimate we can come up with. That's the important thing. When we're making a decision, you're not going to turn to some other estimate. You're not going to estimate in your head. You're not just going to say, oh, let's forget about even thinking about going for it. It's because of the hamstring injury of our wide receiver. Um, you're not just going to toss it aside. You're going to say, we have an estimate. How can we adjust this estimate with that new information? What is a reasonable way to adjust this estimate with our new information? And then we can still use the model with the new estimate. You don't just throw it out. It's wrong, but it's useful. We're trying to get useful information to help us make better decisions, not to make 100% the correct decision. Uh, and to do this, I think another interesting point is we're always there's always these critiques on the conversion probability because that is more intuitive for people to figure out that the conversion probability is wrong. There are other things that go into these models. In fact, let's go ahead and look at like the the Ben Baldwin bot, okay and what it what it tells us on these decisions. Uh, I'm going to look at a decision from last night and we'll, we'll walk through this on how we can be intentional about this, how we can incorporate new information on this. So we look at a decision last night. It was fourth and probably about one and a half. It says fourth and one here. The charges were down three points. There was nine twelve left in the third quarter. So we know all these things we're, we're putting all these things into our model, right? There's how many timeouts do both teams have. They both had their own timeouts. It's on the 12 yard line. Again, down three points we know in our model that the chargers are favored by so much we can you know we, that that shows how good their offense is that's how we're figuring out some of these win probability things and we're saying according to the ben baldwin bot here that overall it's about a 2.5 percent win win probability to go for it but you know there is context missing from this model again it wasn't fourth and one i think it was more like Fourth in one and a half. A lot of these fourth and one models are built on, you know, sneak type of situations. When we're talking about the conversion probability and the conversion probability here in the model is sixty six percent. That's underneath the success. And then you're weighing that against the field goal likelihood of ninety five percent. Well, you could also so say, wait, uh, you know, Dustin Hopkins was injured. Maybe it's not ninety five percent there. Maybe the model is wrong about that also. And then you, and then more importantly, the things that never seem to get critiqued or don't get critiqued as much but are more difficult to even figure out is the win probability if you fail or the win probability if you succeed in these things. Those are estimates going forward. That's really the important invention for why we need models here. We don't need models to tell us conversion probability as much. That's things people can figure out. People can just say, how often have, do teams convert on fourth and one? That's my assumed conversion probability. That's a pretty simple calculation. We don't need complex models to help us figure out. We do need complex models to help us figure out what's our win probability if we make it or if we don't make it. So, telling us the risk and the reward of making the decision, because what goes into that is all the different things the score change, the time differential, where you are in the field, the strength of the team. All those different things go into play into that win probability estimate. And that's what's really modeling is taking things to the next level. That's why now it's not just coaches deciding on the last drive of the game where they can kind of figure out win probability in their head a little bit better or not the last couple drives of the game, whether or not to go for it. Now we can know even in the first drive of a game on fourth and one, in a particular situation, you should be going for it because we can really have a good estimate of that win probability going forward. That's probably something that should be could be critiqued a little bit more, um, but it's the best we can do. It's the best we can do, but that's not talked about because it's not intuitive. So let's just walk through like how we would figure out how would I adjust this, this model to try to get a better idea of what the true gain is on this sort of situation. So I just went ahead and plugged in the different numbers from from the bot here into a very simple sort of spreadsheet. Sorry, spreadsheet, nerd spreadsheet alert here. And this is how we would look at it. Okay. It's similar way. The decision, the success rate is in there, the win probability if you fail and the win probability if you succeed. So I'm just translating all those over. Now, These are rounded numbers that are displayed. So my difference does not come to be quite the same as his difference. So let me just make sure I have the right same numbers that he started with here. So my difference here, the win probability gain, it says 2.2 versus 2.5 in Ben Baldwin's bot, but that's only because there's some rounding stuff going on here. So again, if you wanted to make a change on this, if you wanted to say, oh, but it's fourth and one and a half, it's not fourth and one, it's not fourth and an inch. Well, you could very easily say, well, you know what? I don't have, the analytics can't account for that perfectly. But what we can do is we can say, what's a, what's a thoughtful sort of way of moving this down? What do we think is reasonable? If our assumption was 66 for a fourth and one, let's move it down to 60%. Just, just, just an estimate, right? It will still be better to use this information than it would be to just calculate in our brains. And then you just click that, it recalculates. And now it's saying, oh, we have about a 0.9% win probability gain going for it. So it still says we should lean towards going for it. And if you wanted to go even further, you could say, how far does the success rate have to fall in order for us to say we shouldn't go for it? And then you can just figure out other numbers. You say, okay, if it drops down to 55% success rate, so in other words, would it go from 66 to 55, maybe we shouldn't go for it. Is that reasonable or not? At the same stroke, maybe you say, well, our success rate for the field goal is not 95%, it's 90% because of Dustin Hopkins' injury. Oh, well, now we we should go for it still. So how far do we have to go down? Well, then we'd have to go down to, you know, 52% for the go-for decision in order to be able to figure this out. And so on and so forth. If you want to change the numbers for uh, win probability, fail, or success based upon how your team is playing, as long as you come up with reasonable ways to move that around, it still is more helpful than not to make these adjustments to use the larger framework of the model than it is to just say, you know what? This one factor is off. We can't fully quantify it. So let's just throw the whole thing out. You know, let's bury it, as Steve Young would say. No, let's not bury it. Let's use it and make the best thoughtful and intentional decision we can in order to do this. And again, if we could just do this in our head better, if we could just calculate these win probabilities in our head better, then you would do that, but you can't. So that's why in this particular circumstance, you want to have the model. You want to have something that can help you synthesize you know, thousands of plays, hundreds of teams, hundreds of situations, synthesize all that to give you a reasonable estimate, which then you can adjust and figure out going forward. It's as simple as that. It's wrong. Let's stop getting these arguments about whether or not it can account for everything. It can't. Let's get into more discussions on how we can account for some of these things in the best way possible because the bar is not 100%. The bar is a better decision. We also want to constantly be refining and working towards a better decision. And guess what? Models can help us do that in a lot of circumstances, in data-intensive circumstances. And fourth down decisions is a very easy one for which we can do it. And discounting it, throwing it aside, labeling it, burying it is not going to help. Um, and the last point that I'll mention, I you know I mentioned this before about potentially getting a specialist, like a rule specialist, having an analytics specialist. Also for these pregame panels, you have Steve Young, RG3, Larry Fitzgerald, and, and Booger McFarlane. Like, is this really the crew that you want. Are any of these guys even talking to someone who can help, you know, work them, talk them through some of these things? Or are we just firing takes off the cuff? Because it's not that we know more about football than these guys. They know more about stuff that they have studied and thought about. We know more about stuff than we've studied and thought about. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple way to go. At the very least, we can help question some of their assumptions. And have a relationship, a back and forth that helps improve both of our thinking on this. But it has to start with actually being open to what you're hearing, not bearing anything and at least being bring in people who are experts and work in this as part of the conversation, not just focusing on, can we account for sideways rain or not? Let's forget that. Let's think more about how do we make the best decision, not the perfect estimation. All right, everybody. That's my analytics rant. Hope everyone enjoyed it. I know went a little bit long on here, but that's the way it goes. I'll be coming back out at you on Friday morning to review Thursday night football, to talk everything that's going to go on this weekend. Some of the best bets for the weekend recreational purposes only that I like. If you enjoyed what you heard here, go ahead and give a thumbs up on YouTube rate and review and subscribe to the pod on your favorite podcast platform. Otherwise everyone, have a great rest of your week and I'll be talking to you,